You're listening to a new sermon series from Sojourn Church Carlisle, entitled well, hey, Happy All New Year. in the Family. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing how to cultivate a strong Um, relationship with God through managing our finances, as well as maintaining strong relational dynamics in both familial and non-familial contexts. We hope that this series will give a clear vision and a much deeper appreciation of how God is calling each of us to become faithful stewards of our finances, of our families, and of our friendships. We're thankful that you're here. Um, in a couple, or not a couple weeks, January 10th, I have a dentist appointment, all right? So I know if you haven't been to church in a while, you know, you can come here and there's just something about the place. You're like, man, like I feel weird being here. Maybe you feel guilty because you haven't been flossing and brushing your teeth. Um, well, at this church, right, it's like Jesus flosses our souls for us, I guess is maybe the best metaphor I can say. But the grace of God cleanses us, right? You don't have to clean yourself up to be here. So if this is your first time in church in a while, we're so thankful that you're here and you're welcome here, right? Jesus welcomes you here in spite of anything you think you may have done wrong or are not doing right. Like God welcomes you in this place and he welcomes sinners and sufferers alike to come and worship him together. So we're thankful that you're here regardless of this is your first time, thousandth time. Um, we're honored that you'd be, be with us here this morning. Um, So, hey, today we're starting a new sermon series called All in the Family. Over the next five weeks, um, we will be looking at three topics of the household, if you will. Our finances, uh, how we can be stewards of our finances, of our families, whether that's your immediate family living in your home or extended family, and then also our friendships, which is the basis for any good relationships, including our relationship with Christ. So today, um, to kick us off, uh, we're going to be talking about our finances, our, our money, and um, we'll be looking at that over the next two weeks. God's Word, it has a lot to say about money. There's 2,300, over 2,300 verses in Scripture that talk about money, which is more than faith and prayer combined. Uh, there's uh, Jesus in the Gospels. He shares little stories, often called, called parables. Um, Of the 39 parables, he has 11 that talk about money, so one-third of the parables that Jesus lays out. He talks more about money than he does heaven or hell, Um, so he talks a lot about it, and God talks a lot about our money. But why? Why is that? Why why does God care about money, right? Money's outside. It's a secular thing, right? So what, what does God have to do with money? Well, there's a few things in Scripture that God says reveal a lot about a person, He says you can know a person by their fruits or their actions, right? That's one way. He says you can know a person by their their speech, the things that come out of their mouth, right? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as Jesus says. And then another aspect is money, right? Money talks, right? Our budgets say a lot about what we care about or don't care about. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you didn't know, that's a verse in Scripture, not just a Mumford & Sons line, right? God cares about money because it oftentimes can serve as the litmus test for what really matters to us. In his uh, tome, I would argue, it's like 400 pages, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Randy Alcorn, he says there's a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. 
Now, as soon as I bring up the topic of money, many, if not most, you probably have some visceral reaction, right? Some emotion that welled up within you. Money's an unavoidable reality, but many of us, like, we just don't want to talk about it. It's so taboo in our culture, right? You don't talk about it. And why is that? Well, I think, not I think, I know we all have a story with money, right? Maybe you grew up, uh, you watch your parents struggle with money, with how they relate to it. Now you have money and, and you relate to it on the other end of the spectrum, right? Where you hoard it to yourselves. So when you were a kid and you had nothing, now you have everything, but it's only yours. Maybe on the flip side, maybe, maybe your parents uh, were well off growing up and, and now <laughs> you can't relate helpfully to money because you're trying to keep up with your parents' incomes, right? Now you have nothing, some of the prominent emotions that, that come up, some of the, the, the universal emotions that many of us fear are, are fear, shame, and guilt. And as we think about money, right, those are the things that well up within us. Maybe as soon as I, I hear, I say money, right, you, you feel intense shame because you, you just, you feel bad all the time. Like you're not where you wanted to be at this age or that age with your financial situation, Maybe guilt is the first thing that comes up, right? It's like, man, I feel so bad for having X amount of credit card debt. Or on the flip side, you feel guilty about the things you haven't done. Like, I haven't given this amount of money to the local church or to the poor and needy. Maybe the first thing that wells up within you is fear. You're you're afraid about your financial situation or the future is uncertain. Friends, oftentimes uh, these feelings emerge when we haven't allowed the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to speak to the issues that we're experiencing. So when we have fear or shame or guilt revolving around the topic of money, it's because we haven't allowed Jesus to heal those parts of us yet. If you're a Christ follower experiencing shame at the topic of money, God says to you, you're a child of his no matter how bad you feel about where you are. If you're a Christ follower and experiencing guilt, God didn't declare you, declare you righteous because of your lack of credit card debt. <laughs> so he doesn't declare you unrighteous if you do have credit card debt. If you're a follower of Christ and experiencing fear, God assures you through his provision of Christ that he will provide for you, including in the area of finances. So where are we going over the next two weeks? Over the next two weeks, we're simply going to talk about money. The first week, we're going to do what's called a biblical theology, specifically rooted in Proverbs. So we're going to take a bunch of verses and look at what Proverbs says, gives us some principles. How does God speak about our money? That's what we'll do week one. Week two, talking about finances, we'll, we'll do a, what we can call a practical theology, right? Like, what does God's word say to our everyday? How do we take what's up here and apply it? How do we move it from our, our brains, this intellectual thing, to our everyday practice. Now, by God's grace, uh, the things that you hear over the next two weeks, right, again, back to the dentist, it's like, I'm not going to condemn you, I hope, right? So please don't hear condemnation, but hear invitation. If there's things that you hear that, um, rather than take them as like affronts to you, right, just say, okay, God, maybe you're inviting me to something here, okay? And then if there is something that sticks in your craw a little bit, like, ask why, Right? Does this bother me because I'm not living up to some expectation or maybe a part of my story hasn't been healed yet? 
Or is God inviting me into something, right? God's grace comes to us, right? No matter where we are, but it also doesn't leave us there, right? So oftentimes, things that we may feel as condemnations are really just God inviting us into something. So over the next couple weeks, if you hear something that feels condemnatory, again, please, I apologize in advance. It's not my intent. Um, I'm happy to talk more if, if I am confronting you in some way. Like, um, I would love to apologize, but um, please hear these as invitations. Um, and then the last thing, uh, kind of prefatory remarks, because <laughs> I know money's weird, right? I heard, the, I heard the pews creak as soon as I said it. Um, but this is bigger, right? The, the next two weeks, they are bigger than trying to get you to give more to the church, okay? Y'all hear that? <laughs> this conversation about money is bigger than trying to get you to give more money to the church, Part of every person's story, if you've, been, if you've been in the church, right, there's probably a chapter in it, even if you haven't been in the church, there's probably a chapter in it that says, like, uh, money matters, chapter four, colon, the church is messed up, right? <laughs> you know, maybe you've seen embezzlement, right, in a church. You've seen um, the Preachers and in Sneakers Instagram, right, where it's like $20,000 sneakers they're rocking, um, there, there's all these things that we relate to as people when we watch the church, and it just makes us feel icky, kind of, right? So we have weird relationships with the church. Maybe on the other end, it's like all you've seen is televangelists who like tell you to throw a couple bucks in, in the jar for their televangelism ministry, and then God will return it, right? It's like this prosperity gospel, and that makes us feel weird, right? So there's probably a chapter in your story of money that's related to the church that's not great. But again, hear me. This conversation is bigger than trying to get you to give money to our local church. Okay? You guys with me on that? Yeah? So much bigger. Because money relates to every area of life that we deal with, right? It touches much more aspects than just the local church. So, with all the prefatory remarks, um, we're going to dive in. Um, but before we do that, let me pray for us. Um, God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your saints. We thank you that you've called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. God, we do thank you. Um, there's a lot of things in, in Scripture that you don't talk a ton about, and we have to um, prayerfully consider what they mean, but um, you talk a ton about money. And we thank you that you invite us into a better way of stewarding our money, our resources. We ask that over the next couple weeks and then over the next five weeks as we unpack our sermon series, God, that as we step into this new year, um, we would be invigorated and we would pursue maturity as a people, that we would grow more and more like Christ every single day. We ask that you bless our time together as we study your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, if you have a bulletin, uh, you can open that up and follow along. It's a classic uh, eight-pointer today, so not exactly what the homiletic professors tell you to do. But um, anyways, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, right? So uh, again, a biblical theology is looking at what the Bible says about a topic. Now, you can do that broadly, looking at Genesis to Revelation, but again, there's 2,300 verses, so I thought that might be a little much for us today. So we're going to narrow the scope a little bit and look at Proverbs and see what Proverbs says about finances, about money, about wealth. The beauty about Proverbs, right, is that it enters into the gray of life, right? A lot of us, we want black or white. 
do this, don't do that. But with money, there's gray, right? There's this area we have to navigate where there's just complexities in life. And I love Proverbs because it's, it's wisdom literature, right? It, it enters into that gray of life for us and helps us to navigate. So with that said, let, let's just dive right in. Um, I'm deeply indebted to uh, pastor, author, Kevin DeYoung, right? He um, had a great article on uh, Proverbs and money. So um, shout out to him. Um, but let's hop in. Uh, the rich and poor, the first thing we can talk about money is talking about the rich and the poor, right? They're more alike than you think, okay? If you look at Proverbs 22, 2 and 29, 13 with me, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Again, we see in verse in Proverbs 29, the poor and oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to these both. So the reality is that the rich and the poor, those who have lots of money and who have little or no money, have the same standing before God. Okay, both are created by God. Both are called to be stewards of God's resources. And both have the capacity for righteousness and unrighteousness. Poor and rich are both made by God, sustained by God, saved by God, Lord willing, and judged by God. The amount of money they have does not matter. As we'll learn throughout this week and next, the amount of money is not the problem. Okay, you guys hear that? The amount of money is not the problem. It's the posture or the relation that a person has to money that constantly needs to be checked and held in line with God's will and God's way. So the rich and poor are more alike than you think. There's also extremes of wealth and poverty that provide unique temptations. So though they share things, there are things that are different. If you look at Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9, it's one of the only prayers in the book of Proverbs. It says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of God. So though the, the rich and the poor, they have the same standing before God, they do have unique temptations, right? So the temptation of the rich, as it says in Proverbs, is that they abandon God because they're dependent on their wealth for their daily bread rather than God. Now, on the other side, the temptation of the poor is to act unrighteously to get what they want, no matter the cost. Now, to bring a, a little nuance, though, there, there are still so many similarities to temptations of rich and poor. A desire for control, a lack of dependence on God, trying to keep up with the Joneses, if you will, falling prey to an American consumeristic culture, right? Living outside of our means, being poor stewards of our finances. Both rich and poor struggle with that. <laughs> I've known people who make six figures and live paycheck to paycheck. I know people that make five figures, low five figures, and live paycheck to paycheck. Right? Again, it's not the amount in the account, it's the posture of your heart. So there's similarities, but there's also unique challenges. Another thing that we see very clearly in, in, in Proverbs that honestly we don't totally know what to do with, the reality is poverty is not pretty. <laughs> poverty is not pretty. Proverbs 10.15 says, The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. Proverbs 14, A poor person is hated even by his neighbor. But there are many who love the rich. Proverbs 19, wealth attracts many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friend. We, we don't really know what to do with that. It, like, it kind of feels weird. It feels like that is like 
different than what God says elsewhere. We need to understand, friends, there's kind of two poles that we can walk, right? There's the prosperity theology that says, like, God will bless you with lots of financial resources, but there's also a poverty theology that says, God will love you more if you're poor. We need to be careful to, like, walk the fine line because those are both extremes. One of the things that I worry is happening in the church is that um, many of us— feel icky if we have money, right? It's like we feel like if we have any type of money whatsoever, then we're like doing something wrong, right? Or God loves us less, so we, we need to be poor, right? Or act impoverished, which we'll see in a second, as Proverbs says, doesn't, don't do that. If we act in a way that is like outside of our reality, <laughs> right? Do you guys see that? If we act in a way that's not true, we can't allow God to speak to our real reality, If we try to act like we don't have money or act like um, the money we have is like super bad and icky, then we actually can't steward our money well. You guys, you hear that? Does that make sense to you? Right? We can't steward something if we're like unwilling to look at it or touch it. So we need to be careful, right? We, we, we don't want to have a prosperity theology that says like drop money in the bucket and you're good. We also don't want to have a poverty theology that says like if you're poor, God loves you more. Right? Again, it's not the amount in the account, it's the posture of the heart. The reality in Scripture, friends, and we see this, is poverty is hard, plain and simple. We need to remember on both sides of the spectrum, like God doesn't look at somebody more as an image bearer because of a certain thing. Right? God doesn't look at you better if you have wealth. God doesn't look at you better if you're poor. We're all image bearers, right? If you remember the first thing, we are all made in God's image, poor and wealthy. So the warning that I think we see in Proverbs is pursuing poverty, thinking that it will garner favor, just isn't true. It won't happen. But again, it's a fine line, okay? So lest you think the the perils of poverty means you should pursue just unfettered wealth, right? We see again in Proverbs that money cannot give you ultimate security, Proverbs 11.7, it says, When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing, and hope placed in wealth vanishes. Proverbs 11.28, it says, Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. One thing that we don't realize quite as much as the ancient Hebrews did is that we, we don't actually have as much control over our wealth as we think. Right? In an agrarian society where uh, wealth was measured in like the number of goats you had or like how much grain was in your silo, right? There's an understanding of like, oh yeah, like I mean, I can plant the seed, I can till up the soil, but I sure as heck can't make it rain. <laughs> I sure as heck don't raise the sun in the morning, right? So there is an understanding, there's a dependence on God for much of the wealth that they have. Now for us, right, we we, we live in the, the transactional culture of America, right, where it's like it's one-to-one, right? Dollars for hours worked or whatever. We, we feel like we have a lot more control over our wealth. But the reality is we need to understand that we don't always have that, right? You can work hard, but you can't make your boss give you a raise. You can save your money, but the radiator still goes out. You can invest your hard-earned money, but the market crashes. 
And then, of course, ultimately at death, which it says in Proverbs, right, when the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing and hope placed in wealth vanishes. It's gone, right? When we meet our death, it's gone. Done. The patron saint of country music, George Strait, you know, he once said, you don't bring nothing with you here. You can't take nothing back. I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. Friends, money can't give you ultimate security. Next thing we see in Proverbs, the Lord hates those who get rich by injustice or by unjust gain. Okay, making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist, a pursuit of death, says Proverbs 21. Oppressing the poor to enrich oneself and giving to the rich both lead only to poverty. Proverbs 22, don't rob a poor person because he is poor and don't crush the oppressed at the city gate for the Lord will champion their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. Friends, there's, there's something in all of us, right? This is the depth of it. There's something in all of us that wants to be wealthy. <laughs> and unfortunately, the de- that desire, if left unchecked, can lead to an abandonment of like all moral integrity. That's why people sell drugs or commit fraud or steal. Right? That enticing allure of the God of money is always calling and beckoning to us. It's calling us to do things outside the way God has wired creation. Not only does God despise dishonest gain, but he despises the injustice that this causes other people. Proverbs says, those who plunder the poor will be plundered by God. I don't want to be on that end. And we see real life, real life examples of this, right? You know, back in 2000s, the whole Enron scandal, right? It's like... Uh, the, the year before Enron went bankrupt, uh, I read somewhere that senior advisors had like taken out like $744 million in, um, in stock options and, and bonuses, right? And then they go bankrupt and the shareholders lose $78 billion. Those are different numbers, right? $78 billion of their investments. Employees of Enron lost $2 billion in pension on top of like their everyday salaries, right? Now, thankfully, there, there was a little bit of justice on the other end of that, but not fully, right? It's like, man. Injustice, unjust gains, friends, are, are horrible in the eyes of the Lord. Now, on the flip side of that, right? In Proverbs, we see the Lord loves those who are generous to the poor, Proverbs 14, 21, it says, the one who despises his neighbor sins, but whoever shows kindness to the poor will be happy, will flourish, will be blessed. Proverbs 14 again, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker, God, but one who is kind to the needy honors him, God. God hates riches through injustice, but God loves when money is used to help those in need. This is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 25. He says, For I, Jesus, was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
We know later that he's not talking about himself literally. He's talking about when we care for people in those stations of life, we are showing honor to our maker, Christ. Right? When money is used in generosity to the poor, God himself is honored. It warms the heart of his father. Right? It's like if someone does something to love my child, that warms my heart, right? The same is true of God. Somebody does something, specifically giving to the poor, caring for one of God's children, warms God's heart. Another thing we see in Proverbs is you can't outgive God. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 22, 9, a generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I lack generosity because I forget that God is more generous than I am, (laughs) right? It's like, I don't give something because I'm like, well, surely like this isn't coming back to me, right? But we need to remember that God is infinitely more generous than we ever are. Now, uh, imagine with me for a second, you and a friend, like you, you go out on a hike together and you have to t- stop and take a breather, right? You guys are really tired, so you stop. Your friend is a knucklehead and they forgot their, their, uh, their camel back in the car. So you're standing there like looking at this huge waterfall, just overwhelmed by the power coming down from the water, right? It's fresh water, by the way. It's important for the illustration, right? You're overwhelmed by the, the power of the water coming down. And your friend says, oh, hey, I've, I forgot my water bottle. Can I have some of yours? And you look at them, you say, no, no, like, this is all I have, <laughs> right? It's like, whoosh, right? You got water flowing over you in the background. The same is true about God, right? It's like, man, I, I can't give you that. I don't have enough, right? It's like, oh, do you see the huge water flow, flow of God's generosity, how he's provided for you all your life, and here it's flowing over you? But man, this cup, this is my cup, <laughs> okay? Right, friends, we, we can't outgive God. We never will be more generous than he is than he is or has been. Proverbs eleven twenty four it says, One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. Our seventh principle, if you're not keeping if you forgot what number we're on. <laughs> you guys can laugh. It's okay, it's cool. It's a, Doesn't have to be so stuffy in here, right? All right. Proverbs says, hard work and good decision-making usually, usually, right? Principles, not promises, uh, usually lead to increased prosperity. Look at some of these. Proverbs 10, verse 4, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Proverbs 13, wealth obtained by fraud, again, back to Enron, will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor, through good hard work, will multiply it. Proverbs 14, the crown of the wise is their wealth. So a wise person, typically through prudence, <laughs> can become wealthy. But the fool, listen to this, the foolishness of fools produces foolishness. Like that's a bumper sticker if I've ever heard it, right? The foolishness of fools produces foolishness. Proverbs 21, the one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil, maybe like LaCroix and avocados, will not get rich. Proverbs 22, humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. Proverbs 28, a faithful person will have many blessings, but one in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. 
Like most hard things in life, friends, wealth, money, it doesn't come easily, right? It's like we, like we want the magic pill for our diet or, you know, it's like the, um, I don't know, the gazelle, right? Is that that thing? It's like you stand on here with that, that big dude with the long hair is the gazelle, right? We want the gazelle or the ab belt, right? It's like, I'm going to get abs by wearing the ab belt. It's like, what? Right? It doesn't work, right? It's the same thing. It's like you can't go chasing like Dogecoin around online to try and get rich, or you can't just keep going and playing the lottery to, to like make this huge windfall, right? It's like God's word says to us that most of the time, now sometimes you'll get rich off those things, right? But most of the time, hard work and prudence will help build your wealth, right? Now, that's not the end, right? It's not a means to an end. It's like, well, I'm going to do good by God, and then I'll get rich, right? We'll talk more about that next week, but leave that for now. Like, that is a, that is a principle that we see in the book of Proverbs. And then the last thing, friends, that we see in the book of Proverbs that I hope we hear and understand and can kind of catapult us into next week is money isn't everything, okay? Little Wayne, I think he said money over everything, but I'm here to tell you Proverbs, little Proverbs says money isn't everything, okay? Probably be better little Solomon. That would have been way better. Sorry. Little Solomon says money isn't everything, right? It doesn't satisfy, okay? Proverbs 23, 4 through 5, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop, right? There's that old SNL skit, right? Stop it, right? Stop it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears for it makes, your money makes wings for itself, right? There's an emoji with the money flying off with wings. It makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. Money is at everything. It's inferior to wisdom. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11, accept my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than pure gold for wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can equal it. Money isn't everything. It is inferior to righteousness. Proverbs 10, ill-gotten gains do not profit anyone, but righteousness rescues from death. Proverbs 11, wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath. You can't pay your way out of judgment, but righteousness rescues from death. Proverbs 13, a righteous person eats until he is satisfied, but the stomach of the wicked is empty because the desire is endless. Money isn't everything. It's inferior to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, 6, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. It's like, it's way better to fear the Lord and have no money than to have tons of money and like drama in your life. Money isn't everything. It's inferior to humility. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide the plunder with the proud. Money isn't everything, friends. It's inferior to good relationships. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. Why why does God care about your money? Why does he care? Why why are there 2,300 verses about money? It's like if he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, like, why does he care? He doesn't need it. Why does he care? The reason God cares about your money is because God cares about you. Back in July of this year, a survey was done, and the number one stressor for people was finances. 73% of people said finances were the number one stressor. The next thing was like politics at 59%. 
what if God didn't care about your money? <laughs> it's like 73% of people, that's the thing they like stress about most and your God doesn't care about it. That's not a God I want to serve, right? That doesn't feel like a God who loves me. If like one of my greatest stressors, he just doesn't care about. What, what if God didn't care about like the one thing that we're all scared to talk about? <laughs> like when was the last time you had a conversation with anybody about money outside of your spouse? <sighs> Probably feels lonely, right? It's more lonely if you don't have a God that cares for you or cares about your money or how you relate to your money. What if God didn't care about like one of the things that brings up just immense shame and guilt and fear that we all wrestle with? Like, what if he didn't care about that? Friends, God cares about your money because he cares about you. God cares about your money because he knows better than any of us the allurement, the enticement that can come from it. If you don't believe me, look at how seriously Jesus takes money in Matthew 6. He says, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, do you see that, right? Like, in in Jesus' way of speaking, (laughs) he's putting his competitor (laughs) as money, Like, do you see that? Like, obviously, we know money doesn't hold a candle ultimately, but like, that's the competition. That's the level that he raises money to, the seriousness, the enticement, the the worship that we can give it. I think Jesus Jesus takes money more more seriously than we do a lot of times and more spiritually than we do a lot of times. Friends, I think that the gospel invitation that we have here from Christ is first to take seriously, right, the the power of money, but then also to invite Christ in. (laughs) Right? Colossians talks about how Jesus ashamed the principalities and the powers, right? He like crushed all the other gods, all the other things that can um, sit in his seat, if you will. Crushed all those other things so that we would not become enslaved to, to those things. But rather that we could submit to his way to, to experience flourishing. Later on uh, in this passage, after um, Jesus says, You can't serve two masters, he goes on to, to gently remind you who he is, right? Matthew 6 31 through 34. <laughs> First, he talks about like the birds of the air. He's like, man, how, how much better am I going to take care of you than like some silly little birds, right? It's like, they're so dumb, they fly into windows. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm going to take care of you more than them, right? He said, look at King Solomon, right? Look at how great he was clothed. Like, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to take care of you. And then he says this, right? An invitation. It's like, if you're afraid, if you feel guilty, if you're ashamed, he says, friends, don't worry. <laughs> Saying like, what, what am I going to eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? 
It says, the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. So, so those who don't know me eagerly seek all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, I think as we heed Jesus' invitation to submit to the kingdom and its righteousness, what happens is as we realign our hearts to, the king, to king Jesus rather than king money, right? And when we do that, I think two things happen. One, we, we like can really finally see that God does provide for us, that he does take care of us. But then we also have our desires realigned, right? We, we realize, oh, like maybe I don't need like a 10th back scratcher like on Amazon, right? It's like, no, like you're okay with nine back scratchers, <laughs> maybe one, right? It's like the opulence, right? We'll talk about consumerism next week. But we realign our heart's desires to God. We, we then can remember, it's like, oh, my identity is not in the, the, the like roll, or rolling numbers of my bank account going up and up. Or on the flip side, my identity is not in the negative credit card debt I have. Friends, the invitation is to allow Jesus to speak the truth of the gospel to these things that are, man, they bring so much shame and fear and guilt. And friends, what happens a lot of times is the things that we hide are the things that don't get healing, right? If we continue to hide, if we, like, as a church, don't talk about money, or in community group, we don't talk about money, or just even on a smaller scale, like in your household, if you don't talk about money, man, that, that stuff will fester. And then what's even worse is if we, like, think that, like, this compartment of money sits here, and then I just kind of, like, try and do my thing over here with God— that just doesn't work, right? That doesn't allow Christ to bring healing to that. If you have a, if you have a messed up story, or, or even if you don't, even if you relate well to money, like it's a cycle. We have to constantly repent and, and find and reorient our hearts to King Jesus. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Friends, what's beautiful about the gospel um, We read earlier from Isaiah 55. One of the things that we looked forward to as a church um, and we celebrate every week is a meal called communion. And one of the sweet things about the meal of communion that we celebrate is it looks forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This big party when God has come back, he's rescued his people, and there's no more tears, no more pain, no more heartache, no more shame around money, no more credit card debt. All those things are gone, and we celebrate with God. And here's the picture from Isaiah 55. We read a little bit about it, but here's the invitation, right? It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest fare. Verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
Friends, the invitation to us today, especially as we take this meal together called communion, is, is to remember that we, we can't buy our way into heaven. <laughs> Just like we, we, we can't indebt our way out of heaven, right? The wedding supper of the Lamb is an invitation. He says, come and eat, come feast. You who have no money, feast on me. If you want to partake in this meal called communion, there's individual servings in the pew backs in front of you. If you're not a Christian, I, I uh, ask you to abstain from taking this meal, not because we want to exclude you, um, but this meal is for those who are about the reality of Christ. Um, if you would like to take communion at some point because you are or you consider yourself a Christ follower, talk to me or Pastor James after the service, and we'd be happy to let you know what that means and what that, um, what that looks like for you to take a step of repentance towards Christ so you can take communion even next week. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed... Um, as he was eating with his disciples, he took bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Let's take and eat the bread together. On that same night, Jesus took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the very goodness of sins. Let's take and drink this cup together. Friends, the Apostle Paul, he says that as often as you um, drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Right? We're announcing to the watching world that we're going and marching towards the feast of the Lamb. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.